my jazz. You know, they're saying it's the roaring 20s again right now. Just close your eyes and listen. Unless you're driving. Or unless you're using a hacksaw. Or really, if you're multitasking and doing anything right now, you really shouldn't have your eyes closed. Hey, stupid, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Yeah. You know what? Everyone open your eyes. It's just not safe. You can't even sit on a park bench anymore with your eyes shut. But you know what is safe? Breathing. Yeah, just look around and breathe it all in. Oh, jazz. You know what? Come to think of it, don't breathe in too deep because you know the earth is literally on fire right now. You don't want to get too much smoke in your lungs. So breathe enough to where you won't die, but not too much because then, you know, you'll also die. Oh, yeah, jazz. You know, when I get sad, which, um, uh, well, it's every single goddamn day right now because, you know, the world has gone to shit. I like to just hum. Makes me feel good. I like to just hum it out. Hum, hum. And maybe that turns into a little scat play. Zabadabadum, badum, bum. Zabadabadum, badum, bum. And maybe that turns into a song like hell. I'm in hell. And my heart's racing. Wait, is this a heart attack? But I seem to find the happiness I'm looking for when I pop a Xanax and clench my ass cheek to cheek. Oh, wait, I didn't make a rhyme. <laughs> well, isn't that just a metaphor for life? And that right there is jazz. Oh, jazz. Welcome to episode 24 of Have a Blessed Gay, your weekly spiritual comedy podcast. I am your holy host, the one that puts the gay in gay, Tyler Martin. Has anyone noticed that as the election draws near, they are more constipated than usual? No? Just me? Okay, great. (laughs) Listen, y'all, I'm going to be honest and say that I am pretty freaking terrified right now. I am afraid people will not vote, but I'm even more afraid that a lot of people will vote and the piece of shit that shall not be named will somehow win and be in there another four years. I am frightened for my friends' lives, and I am worried I will lose my rights as an American citizen just because I like golden girls and men's butts. There is a whole lot to think about right now, but what's important is that we use our voices, we speak up, and we take care of ourselves. Try to use this time as you're listening to this episode just to consciously breathe for a second. Allow yourself just a moment to slow down And listen, and I think your mental health would greatly benefit from leaving this podcast a quick review. (laughs) Okay, fine. That's not necessarily true, but it does feel good to do good things for other people, so maybe, right? Eh, whatever, I tried. I am super stoked for this episode, y'all. Not only do I greatly admire the guest, But definitely do listen all the way to the end of the episode to hear an excerpt from the new extremely special article for The B Word, read by the incredible author herself, actor, professor, and writer, Dr. Paige Martin Reynolds. 
The article, called Our Sensory Sanctuary, revolves around the importance of having a space for everyone, including people with certain sensory needs. Paige tells the journey of creating a space for her child who has autism at their church, a very touching, much-needed conversation surrounding inclusion. The entire article is also now available on the Have a Blessed Gay website at haveablessedgay.com slash the B word. But before you hear the beautiful excerpt or read the article, I am excited to introduce you to the guest for this episode, the one, the only, Susan Cottrell. When her oldest daughter came out, Susan was asked by her church to choose between her church and her daughter. And guess what? She chose pizza and also her daughter. Susan Cottrell is an international speaker who you might know from her amazing TED Talk that went viral in 2019, gaining over 1.5 million views so far. Named the mother of all mama bears by Outsmart Magazine, and our favorite affirming matriarch by The Advocate. She is a prominent voice for the LGBTQ community. She's been featured on ABC's 2020, Nightline, Good Morning America, on NBC News Out, and as a contributor on the Our Bible app. She is a public theologian, and through her nonprofit organization, Freed Hearts, Susan champions the LGBTQ community and families with her authentic love, she challenges Christians to love as the foundation of faith. She spent 20 plus years in the non-affirming evangelical church, has a Master of Arts in Theological Studies, and served as the Vice President of PFLAG Austin. But she didn't stop there. Now she has written books including Mom, I'm Gay, Loving Your LGBTQ Child and Strengthening Your Faith, True Colors, Radically Included, and be the love you want to see in the world. She and her husband, Rob, have been married for 33 years and have five children, two of whom identify as queer. Susan's newest endeavor is a wonderful podcast called Freed Hearts and is available on all podcast platforms. It is about changing the human conversation on love and inclusion. So if you enjoy her on here, which I know you will, definitely check out her and her hubby Rob on their new podcast. If you are a person within the LGBTQ community, a parent of someone who is, an ally, someone worried about our country, our world, or someone who is begrudgingly listening to this episode to appease someone's request, to all of you, please enjoy. I am elated for you to hear Susan's story. So without any further ado, Susan Cottrell, everyone. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at BetterHelp. 
betterhelp.com slash blessgay to check it out and get what? 10% off. The best part is you don't even have to leave your house. They offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor, video calls, phone calls, real-time chat, and direct messaging. All counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board. In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash blessgay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash blessedgay. Susan Cottrell, welcome to Have a Blessed Gay. Thank you. Glad to be here. I am so happy that you are here and I just want to jump into it. Tell us who you are and what the hell you do. Yeah. My name is Susan Cottrell. I am the founder and president of Freed Hearts, along with my husband, Rob, and we help the LGBTQ community heal from wounds from family and community and church that have hurt them. And we help parents to embrace their children and overcome their faith issues so they can love their children well. And we do it 24-7. We do it through print live and recorded content. I have videos and books, all kinds of things going on. You really do. I don't know. Do you ever sleep? Um, Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love an ex evangelical like yourself. And like with all exes, there are usually some juicy breakup stories. And so I want to hear about your breakup story with the evangelical church. What is the tea? What happened there? That is awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, there is a breakup story. So we were in the evangelical church for 20 years, raised our five kids there, did all the things and we're leaders and everything else. And then our daughter came out as bisexual. She now identifies as queer. We thought, oh my gosh, what do we do now? And we talked to the church and they said, oh, we're so happy for you. Great. No, they didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) They said, basically, it's a sin and you can't accept it. Now, first of all, it's, it's a daughter. Thank you very much. It's our child. What do you mean it's a sin and you can't accept it? Like it's a job offer in Des Moines and it doesn't pay enough. You can't accept it. And we were really amazed by that. And so I started digging in to say, to find out what is the deal about this? Why is this such a a deal breaker? Nobody gets kicked out of the church for other things. So anyway, the more we dived in, the more distressed we were by the church and by people's responses who don't know anything. And family, we had family who... Had a, who rejected us. They had a whole family reunion that we found out about afterward on Facebook. Oh, I mean, wow. How, how do you treat people like this? It's not like she, you know, committed a school shooting. She just came out. And suddenly, you know, we are, and we, because we support her, are all on the outs. So 
it's really been a, it was a strange journey, but I'm telling you, it's the best thing that ever happened to us because it made us see things we didn't see when the, when that box opened up the box about around race, all of these things began to open up that we didn't see before. And so it's made us better people. It's made us more like Jesus than ever when we were in the church. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? (laughs) It is ironic. And it's a consistent story. We hear that all the time from parents now. Well, because I love your story so much, I want to hear the prequel. I want to know how you got to that point. So journeying back in time to little itty bitty Susan, (laughs) and I want to see how you became involved in the church because you did not grow up in a religious household, right? That's right. You ask good questions. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. um, I was not involved with the church growing up and I did have trauma. My brother died when I was just a toddler. My mother died when I was nine. Um, Two other brothers and my father all died by the time I was 24. So there was a lot of trauma. And, and the thing that was with me uh, that really I saw after my mother died was that God was with me. I knew God. I just intimately knew God. It was apart from church, apart from religion. It was just God and me. And God is the one who sustained itty bitty Susan, who was so devastated in her life. And God was with me. And so when I became a teenager and then older, um, I found out about Jesus. And I was like, oh, he's like a big brother to this God I already know. And it was it was appealing. And I, when we married, um, we, I don't know, we came to some bumps in the road and in our career and stuff. And so um, we found a church that really helped us. And we thought, wow, these people are lovely. And so that's the thing when what drew us in was the relationship first with God and then with people who also knew God. And that's what kept us all those years. But like, as we kept growing and our family kept expanding, we saw that the church was not very good at anything different. If you didn't tow the line exactly the way they wanted you to, then you were like put on probation, so to speak not formally, but the way they treated you. So it was already beginning to be like, this isn't what I, what I knew when I was little, the God that I know. And so then when Annie came out, it was like, okay, all right. I see the gloves are off now. Now you're telling us to separate from our daughter. That's what you're telling us. And that's not happening. So what is the matter with you people? That was really what happened for me, for us internally. And I, and I did because you've been, when you've been in the church for 20 years or however long, you have a lot of things that you've kind of assimilated. And so you have to find out why, are, why is this such a big deal? Did I miss something? And I go back and I research and I see that, no, this homophobia was actually fed into the culture mm. in the 70s by the moral majority with Jerry Falwell. Thank you very much. And you look at his son today and say, yeah, that fits. <laughs> right. And so, you know, we realized that that's not where we're headed. Um, so I still love God, but a very expanded version of God than I ever got in church. 
which is another ironic thing. Um, but it's, it is not a God who excludes. It's not a God who created a hell for people to go to. Um, that is all not true. Well, as far as labels go now, do you claim a faith label? No, not exactly. I really don't. It's too up in the air. Everything is too amorphous and, and it keeps changing over time. It, yeah. Spiritual, I'd say I'm spiritual. Like like a million, billion other people. Like spiritual, but not religious. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to say that my youngest daughter also came out like a year after Annie did. So now we've got two, two daughters who identify as queer and three other kids. But I always say it's okay. We love the straight kids too. <laughs> they are just as special. They're just as good. Yeah. <laughs> well, on this podcast, I've talked with a few people about their coming out, of course, but I actually haven't talked to parents who yeah. have had a child or children come out. And, and I think it's important for parents to hear another parent's experience, but also I think it's just important for children of yeah. those parents to hear about the experience, to try to understand, not necessarily agree with, but just to understand what they might be going through. And yeah. so for a parent who is in an environment that is quite conservative, like an evangelical environment, for example, can you explain some of the fear, the confusion, the shame even that parents might be feeling when their child does come out? Yes, that's a great question. So when you've been in a, in a worldview, in a church setting where pretty much people believe the same thing, you look around, everybody believes the same thing, so to speak. When this happens, it's really unnerving. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you know it's a deal breaker. Even, even if your church has never talked about it, you know it's a deal breaker. And suddenly you're stuck with this paradigm where you have your faith on one hand and your child on the other. And those were never in conflict. And now suddenly you have to choose. But here's what I want to say to parents. Is it you or kids? Is it make you feel like the choice is between God and your child? But it's not. It's between the church and your child. God is with your child and with you. And so you're not ever having to choose against God. You're having to choose against the church. And that's something to really, really be aware of when your child comes out. But what happens is, first of all, your child has had years to adjust to this idea, usually, before they ever come out. And parents, it's suddenly, there you go. You're you know, your child has come out. And so it takes a little time and you have to sort through it and you have to sort through what you really believe. But for Christians, if you look at how Jesus was, he challenged every assumption of the church, the the synagogue, the people that he called on the carpet the most were religious leaders. He never called the little people on the carpet just the people trying to live their lives. It was the church leaders who were, who were rejecting those little people. And, and so that's what we need. To, that needs to be our viewpoint today is call the religious leaders out on the carpet. I mean, Franklin Graham comes to mind or any of them mm-hmm. who are so 
hateful and ugly against these people who are just trying to live an integrated life. That's all they're trying to do. And so our, our anger, if you will, needs to be at the religious leaders who are hurting them because that's where Jesus' anger was. I just say that not for anybody to be faithful. That's, I'm not asking for faith from anybody. I'm talking to people who have faith to know that if you side with Jesus, then you're siding against those who would reject other people, especially your children. So, but the, the fear though is just like at your throat when you when your kids come out and you know what's at stake. You know your church is going to make you choose, and you will suddenly be rejected from your community. You'll stand to lose people you've been in relationship with forever. You stand to lose your family, which we did, part of our family. We are not in communication with anymore. And that's that's awful that that is where this goes. And so for the LGBTQ people, I want to say that if you can just try to understand that your parents are afraid, it's like suddenly their house is burned down and they don't know what to do and it's traumatic. That does not give them any, any, any right to treat you badly or disrespectfully or be abusive to you. So just be very clear that you don't have to take abuse from people. You can, you can set parameters for yourself. But, uh, but the compassion part of it wants to say, you know, they're, they're terrified. And they've never had to look. And, the, and those evangelical churches groom people not to think for themselves, not to look under the carpet and say, what's under here? Not to look at where a belief system came from. You know, they, they accept hell as a given. When hell was invented, like three, four hundred years after Jesus was here. So why is that now true? It's not true. Somebody made it up and then it became a thing. But you have to be willing to look. And a lot of people, um, it's, in the, it's in the religious leader's best interest not to have people look at, at how, how a sausage is made. And so um, they don't want you to look. So that's what your parents are having to face, thinking for themselves for maybe the first time in their church history. Well, also something that you mentioned earlier was the assimilation aspect that we don't realize what we are necessarily putting ourselves through until we are out of it. And so I'm curious, especially in the evangelical world, that's something I hear that when a, a female leaves and they're given a voice somewhere else, oh, yeah. they're like, oh, wow, I wasn't given a voice before. And so I, I do feel like we are so used to discrimination, yes. sadly. And so we don't even see it until it is shoved in our faces. Right. right. I mean, I remember that I remember going to talk to the pastor about something I disagreed with. And the junior pastor was there. That wasn't his title. I just love to call him that. <laughs> It was like my son's age. Both of them were about my son's ages. And we're sitting there talking, and I disagreed with something. And the junior pastor says, well, you know, I'm your authority, so you have to submit. Ooh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I, I mean, the disrespect for 
my stature as a human being, my stature as a woman, a mother, as uh, all the years experience I had before he was even thought of. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing that you're right, Tyler, it just gets assimilated. You just, you take it and take it and don't realize it. Let me give you a quick example of this. Okay. Mm -hmm. That, um, so my friend Paula Stone Williams is transgender. She transitioned probably at 60 years old or something and wanted to all her life, but it wasn't really an option. And she said, she speaks to us women now and says, you have no idea how much you take from men, how much they have taken your power and they interrupt you and they run over you and they don't give you your due and you take it. And she said, I had no idea that I as a man was doing that. And I was one of the good ones, she said, and it's true, but women are disempowered by men constantly. And she said, and also I had no idea how much advantage I did have, privilege I had as a man. Mm. I see it now. And, And my wife would point it out to me and I'd say, I know, honey, I know. And I didn't know. And so just let that soak in that someone who's been male and female is seeing what what we don't see. So when you're LGBTQ, you are silenced in countless ways. And those microaggressions you feel, those are real. And the natural thing that we would do is we'd say, oh, I'm not, did I do something? I must have looked at them funny. Huh. And we and we retract, we contract and get smaller so that we won't draw those microaggressions or macroaggressions. But the truth is that you keep expanding because those microaggressions have nothing to do with you. They're all about the people who are voicing them or looking at you sideways or whatever they're doing. They're not about you. So you just keep going boldly forward. And I'm I'm a different person now myself in that way than I'm speaking in ways that I never did when I was involved in the church. And so I, I want to take you by the hand and say, come on, let's run and you be your biggest self. Don't, don't let yourself be reduced by others who are small in their thinking and have no vision of a spectrum of humanity that we all belong to. They want to reduce it to plain white vanilla. And we're not plain white vanilla. That's so beautiful. And I I think these microaggressions can feel small. And so like you're saying, you do combat them in ways that you just ignore. Yes. But any aggression is an aggression. It is an aggression. And they add up. Yes. Uh, I'm going to get very super Christian centric here, but I I do want to talk about specifically in the U S right now, I think these microaggressions adding up to something bigger we are seeing right now Um, as we brace for the election and (laughs) what's to come uh, in a recent public opinion written by the Supreme court justice Clarence Thomas, alongside Justice Samuel Alito, they referenced a case that legalized same-sex marriage in 2015, saying that they believed that the ruling should be quote-unquote fixed, 
they said that those with sincerely held religious beliefs concerning marriage will find it increasingly difficult to participate in society. And if Trump is reelected, uh, the possibility of same-sex marriage being reviewed is very high. And the possibility of it being overturned is horrifyingly high. These two justices, two of our country's highest leaders, want us to revert back to a less progressive, less inclusive time. And it is based on, quote unquote, Christian theology. They want a Christian nation where Christians may lawfully discriminate against anyone else, literally taking rights away from anyone who is not Christian. And you who has dealt so much with this, like you say, day and night, literally, dismantling this divide between Christians and the LGBTQ plus community is so devastatingly crucial. And so as far as the Christian faith does go, would you dismantle the concerns regarding homosexuality within the Hebrew and Christian Bible, at least briefly? It's a great question. And, and, and you said, you know, what we're having to do is, is they're using um, Christian theology, but it's really not theology. It's not like, well, there it is in black and white. And they'll say there it is in black and white, but it's not, nothing in the Bible is black and white. And especially the word homosexuality, which was invented in the 1800s and added to the, to the Bible in 1946. And there's a movie coming out in 1946. I'm so excited for it. Yeah. So first of all, it's not true that the Bible condemns homosexuality as we know it today. Like same level of power, people, consensual, who get in a relationship. It is not condemning that. It didn't even have a concept of that. What it has was majority narrative men, the men in power, married to women, and then having sex with their slave boys on the side. Well, if it's slave boys, it's non-consensual by definition. It's a power differential. So, and they're saying, please don't do that. And, and Leviticus is talking about don't have sex with the people in your household except your wife, because those people are un, are dependent on you. They can't say no to you. So stop it. So those Leviticus passages are really more aimed at the religious leaders we today that we see, the Catholic leaders. But it's not just Catholic priests. It's also Christian mm-hmm. clergy that coerce children and teenagers and women into sex or abuse. So that's more what it was talking about. If the church wanted to be theologically correct, then it, I mean, and with the heart of compassion that we see written in the Bible, it would really be all over these leaders that are abusing their power, not to gay guys they want to get married. Why is that their big deal? Because it maintains the hierarchy. That's why it maintains the power structure. So what you see today in Christianity and conservative evangelical is more about a power structure than it is about correct theology. They don't, they're not living correct theology. And the underlings, just the people in the pews, don't really realize this because they've been lied to by the leaders. But the leaders are all about maintaining the hierarchy and the structure, not real authentic Christianity. So the Christians who think it'll be increasingly uncomfortable 
first of all, can I say F you? Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> you're not the only person that lives here. You Christians are not the only people who live in this country. You're not even a majority in this country. So take your needs and put them in a cup for a minute. And let's look at all the other people whose lives have been very uncomfortable by all those microaggressions, by not being able to be married, by not being able to be out without severe, you know, consequences they have to pay. No one is shooting you on the street, Christians. No one is, you know, profiling you for a traffic stop. There's no straight to jail pipeline for Christians. There are all kinds of things that are happening to other people that aren't happening to you. And if you're uncomfortable, then what you're uncomfortable about is that that life in your perfect bubble is starting to have some ripples in it. And it's starting to break down. And you are not going to be the center of the universe anymore. That's what the discomfort is about. It's not because suddenly you're being violated. You're not being violated. If you don't believe in gay marriage, don't marry someone of the same gender. Yeah. But that's not, but you are not everybody. And so it's disconcerting, but it's those justices. It's people in power imposing their power on other people when it's not necessary for them to live the same exact life they've always lived. Christians can go to church and be in church and do what they've always done. They just might get uncomfortable because two guys may came in, come in and sit together. Oh my gosh, well, that doesn't have anything to do with you, does it? But it, it's, it's this lie, again, fed to these dependent people telling them they're going to lose something. That's the best way to teach contempt for others is mm. to say that they're going to threaten you. They're going to take something of yours. Well, this country is not yours. It's and none of ours. <laughs> it's none of ours. It's, it's none of ours. And so nothing's being taken from you except your comfort. And everybody else's comfort has been stomped into the mud for hundreds of years. You can give just a little bit and press into this discomfort. And you'll find that you become a better person, a kinder, more loving person if you can do that. Because by doubling down, you're becoming so much uglier than you ever even were. This whole political climate has brought out the ugliest in people. It's, it's disgusting. And to think that in any way has anything to do with God or Jesus is like, man, you have to be blind to think that. Kind of a follow-up to this. How do you think we can ever resolve the conflict between the Christian community and the LGBTQ plus community? Well, I think often of the Great Reformation 500 years ago, where the Catholics were in a very Catholic church, which meant the only church, was in a very similar position of power, run amok. And they had to be called out and pulled from one after another. People, reformers, started calling out their abuse and calling them to account for it. And they lost, you know, they're burned at the stake. They were lost their lives, but it becomes a critical mass where the change happens and nobody gives up their power voluntarily. It always has to be wrested from them. And we're seeing the very same thing today. 
that these Christians are doubling down. And not all Christians. No. There are a ton of Christians who are wonderful. And they're not of this mindset, but it's this evangelical group. And, the, and this whole belief system has been a recent thing. Homosexuality, abortion, these are recent, like, talking points that have become the whole thing that, that it all turns on. But th- that's not been th- that way throughout humanity. We have to keep speaking the truth. And we have to vote. Also, I hope everyone listening votes. Please. It's vital to vote. And, and our systems are broken. It's true that there's some major overhaul that needs to happen. But the next four years can either be further disintegration or it can be starting to rebuild. So please vote. But the, yeah, so we have to keep speaking up. I mean, that's why the, the evangelicals reacting the way they are, is that we are making inroads. We're saying things that need to be said. And you know, we got marriage equality. And so they're, they're in a panic that their worldview is being shaken. And they've been groomed into this very narrow, boxed-in worldview. And so it's very scary for them to think about it being different. But I encourage you, if you're from that, that background, to look at things a different way, get to know other stories. If you're a parent or evangelical, you get to know people's stories. It will break your heart and show you that, man, we've been wrong about this. And, and take the courage that it takes to speak up. And to, to stand your ground and say, this doesn't look anything like Jesus, by the way. So, yeah, we got a lot of work to do. If there are faith leaders, parents, children, allies, anyone who wants to do this work to reflect, to unlearn these fears, you offer so many amazing resources. Yes. What are some of the resources that you offer And what are some ways that people can get involved in this type of reformation, this type of healing? Well, go to freedhearts.org. All the stuff is right there on one website, freedhearts, heartsthatbeenfreed.org. And we have my TED Talk, which really uh, tells the story of the coming out and the responses we got and what we've done since then. And it's it's a really moving, moving story. So please watch that if you haven't. And reach out to us if you're a parent and you want to be in the parents group. We'd love to have you. So just contact me through the website and we'll get you in. And you can be with other parents who, you know, have been down the same journey. It looks scary, but then you go and it's it's much less scary than you think it will be. You know, the, the, the thing that's scariest is you you know intuitively, if I'm wrong about this, what else am I wrong about? And suddenly your worldview begins to unravel. But if you're wrong about it, don't you want to know that? Don't you want to know that? I certainly did. I didn't want to go ahead in wrong understanding of the world and thinking things about people that weren't true, people I didn't even know and didn't even know I thought those things. So it's a, it's a really tender journey and it is safe and good for you. It just only feels scary, but that's just a monster under the bed. That's not really there. That's all that is. Susan, 
as you mentioned earlier about parents living dual lives with faith and their children, you do not do that. You are so open, you're proud, you are faithful and such an inspiration. I really thank you so much for chatting with me. This was just amazing. Thank you. It is my pleasure. Thanks for doing what you're doing too. We're all doing our part here. We are all trying. such an uplifting person and conversation. I hope it sparked some fire underneath your juicy ass. I'm excited for you to hear the excerpt from the article by Dr. Paige Martin Reynolds. But first, let's quickly break down this convo with Susan. Here are my main takeaways. Number one, religion is not God. Religion is people. So if you are kicked out by a church, God is not kicking you out. People are. If you are in an abusive church and you leave on your own accord, you are not leaving God. You're leaving those hateful assholes. God, or whoever or whatever you believe in, will always be with you. Number two, we are conditioned to be comfortable with discrimination. We often don't see it unless we take a step back or unless it is heavily pointed at us. And microaggressions are still aggressions. Check out episode 22 with therapist Casey Tanner, where we chat about religious abuse, if you haven't already. Number three, Jesus challenged the leaders of the church, not marginalize people. So if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, how about you actually follow him? Okay, cool. Number four, homosexuality is just not a sin. The word wasn't put into the Bible until 1946, wrongfully translated. And the other passages that are often used against the LGBTQ plus community have nothing to do with the community. They are either mistranslated or taken out of context by uneducated people. Number five, vote. Please, please vote. Yeah, the system sucks, but there is an obvious choice that is better. I voted for Biden and Harris, and I am proud to stand with marginalized communities to fight loudly and proudly against the injustice, against the violence, and against the hate that the person currently residing in the White House has encouraged. Yeah, it does suck. It is unfair. But please stand up, do what you can right now, and vote him the hell out of there. This new article for The B Word is a very special one to me because this amazing author, Paige, is someone I am privileged to call my sister. I greatly admire and love her with all my little heart, and I know you will too. Dr. Paige Martin Reynolds is a writer, performer, professor, and mother. Paige creates scholarship, performance art, and personal narratives that span a wide range of topics, from literary history to current issues, from her experience on stage to her experience as a mother, and a lot of stuff in between. She is a professor of English at the University of Central Arkansas, where her primary teaching and research focus is Shakespeare studies. Paige is the author of the book Performing Shakespeare's Women, Playing Dead which was released in 2019. Paige has also published articles in a number of academic journals and recently published a personal essay in the popular modern love column of The New York Times. As an actor, Paige performs on the screen, behind the mic, 
and in non-pandemic times, on the stage. She lives in Little Rock, Arkansas with her husband, Bert, and their two glorious children, Anna and Max. Here she is, reading an excerpt from her article, Our Sensory Sanctuary. As I looked into Max's innocent, terrified face, I heard my husband's voice on the speaker from the pulpit where he was preaching. And right then I made a decision. Max needed a space and he was counting on me to provide it. You see, our boy has autism and before the diagnosis was official, public meltdowns were particularly painful to manage for him and for us. Attending a church service seemed an ever-risky prospect because it's a place where individual sensory experiences sometimes clash with collective etiquette expectations. Some parents might tag-team this kind of situation, while some parents have their own parents nearby to lend a hand. And of course, some parents are single and have neither of those privileges. I'm married to a man who is the most caring and committed of fathers and happens to work every Sunday, right during worship time. This makes the tag team thing pretty impossible, and we live away from all of our extended family. So church is a space my son and I have frequently floundered our way through on our own. We had become nomads, drifting from one room to the next Sunday after Sunday in search of a place to be, a place to belong. I was desperate to keep our disturbance from disturbing anyone else, since the only places where we wouldn't bother others were in the margins, empty rooms, stairwells, sometimes the parking lot. This period amounted to an involuntary banishment. I'd hesitate to go so far as to compare us to the Israelites wandering in the desert, but yeah, it was sort of like that, with air conditioning, except in the parking lot. We have much work left to do when it comes to inclusivity at church and everywhere else. Perhaps one of the lessons of this current pandemic is about empathy, especially when it comes to those who were isolated long before the days of quarantine and pervasive social distancing, those whose involuntary banishment won't end when vaccinations begin, those whose behaviors, beliefs, and bodies unsettle the status quo with their difference. If we do things well, we will emerge in passionate pursuit of inclusivity for all. If I'm honest, I suppose I hoped someone would see my struggle and step in to help without my having to ask or advocate for it. I lost count of the number of times I sweat through my church frocks and faltered on my high heels while trying to scoop up my sobbing son and escape the sanctuary as quickly as possible. I tried to keep us invisible Yet I yearned for someone to see us. This contradiction produces unfair expectations and frustrations, I now can see. But walking through the upside down led me to seek peace, love, abundance, and joy in places I never knew to look before. Practice changes for many parents at church because they suddenly must split their energy between their own spiritual growth and, say, the blowout diaper that needs urgent attention or the breast milk that is slowly seeping through that favorite blouse. 
All sorts of awkward activities can be meditative, and some of them make the more traditional elements of a church service feel strained. Awakening to this truth has been, for me, one of the many gifts of motherhood. When I began to take responsibility for my own beliefs, my theology evolved. When I began to take responsibility for other humans as a mother, my practice evolved also. I had no choice. This was the time to create change, not only for me, but for my children and for the children to come. Everyone is worthy and deserves a space. wonderful and her article is just so beautiful please go read her full piece at haveablessgay.com slash the b word you can find her info there and below in the show notes i have also posted links in the show notes for susan cottrell her ted talk her podcast and amazing resources so check them out make sure you are following this podcast subscribe comment leave a review and just keep in touch with me please do reach out. I love hearing from you. Also, check out the podcast on social media at Have a Blessed Gay on all the platforms. And you can definitely connect with me on there. Now, because this content is heavy at times, you might not be able to laugh it off. And if you are struggling and having a hard time, I always post helplines in the show notes. So please reach out if you need to. Just remember this. You are special. You are purposeful, and you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.